it's time for another episode of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes. Here's your host, Terrence McCauley. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes right here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. My guest today is A.M. Adair. She is a retired active duty chief warrant officer in the U.S. Navy with over 20 years in the intelligence community. She is the author of three thrillers with Shadow War winning the action adventure category of the Independent Press Awards. Shadow War is her latest novel and we welcome you here. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Of course. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Shadow War and the entire series that it's part of? So the series is, it's CIA Black Ops. So I have a female protagonist leading a small team to to take on those impossible tasks that the agency can't otherwise get to. It's things that diplomatically or militarily are not solvable. And Mm -hmm. so I play with that idea of being in the shadows of, you know, that kind of that line between right and wrong, good and evil, and how much happens in that gray zone. And for the series, my character does kind of evolve. There's, there's a character arc, like we all know, but it's not your traditional. I don't have a, I don't have a damsel in distress. I don't really believe in them. And um, she goes through significant trauma uh, and then has to deal with that trauma. So I, I like to, tackle mental health and PTSD head on. And I do that in the books. But by the time I make it to Shadow War, she's been through some stuff. Mm -hmm. And so my protagonist's name is Elle Anderson. And in Shadow War, she finds herself on the run. She has been burned as a spy. She is now cut off from the agency and she's supposed to lay low while kind of the uh, firestorm she started subsides, but uh, her exhaler decides he wants her dead more than anything else and comes after wow. her. Uh, so he is criminal mastermind, like we all love, and he is the nefarious guy that we all love to root against. So, you know, no no holds barred, everything, the gloves are off, she, he's coming for her. So she has to turn the tables. She has to be smarter, more ruthless, more agile to be able to get ahead of him long Mm -hmm. enough to be able to come out victorious um so i had a lot of fun with it obviously there's a lot of action sequences that's kind of my thing right Um, and so when i submitted it to the independent in independent press awards you know it it was i went in with my eyes open i know Mm. there's uh, like people from all over the world thousands of entries it was just I had one of those, well, why not? Why not give it a shot? And yep. And then when I got the notification that it was selected as a winner, I, I had that, oh, did, is this real? You know, I went back and right. read it three or four times. Like, am I being punked? You know, it's like, yeah, like, right, like, yeah. like looking around for the hidden cameras, like <laughs> seriously happening. So, and then, yeah, I did, I, I squealed like a little girl and, you know, probably several octaves higher than my dogs would like to hear because they kind of <laughs> looked at me like, what just happened? Um, but it was so validating. You know, it's like one of those things, you know, when you're an author, especially an indie author, you feel like you're mm-hmm. shouting into the void sometimes, like, you know, right. like a broken record. I'm constantly saying the same thing over and over again. And I feel kind of like a jerk for doing it. Mm-hmm. But you have to, because you never know who's listening or watching or doing, you know, tracking what's happening. Right. And 
So for that, 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 that yeah, confirmation that the blood, sweat and tears were worth it was so good. <laughs> so I highly recommend to anybody out there who's like thinking about taking the shot. Well, what do you got to lose? Right. Because you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. And, exactly. uh, you very, know, you have to very do risky it. Of you. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. Yeah. And it, it, it's amazing because how we evolve as writers as well, you come up with an idea, you put it out there, you, you try to do your best by it. But then there's a certain amount of helplessness after it's out in the world because it's not just yours anymore. It's not just in your head. Even during the editing process, when you show it to that editor for the first time or that beta reader, you, you kind of have to lose a little bit of control on it because it's it's now out in the open and someone else can respond to it. Yep, and that's I, I get that feeling still every time. I'm sure everybody does to a certain extent. You know, even people who are in you know writing 20, 30, 50 books, they they probably still get that. Uh, like kind of cringy feeling when you hit send um just right. to see what the response is going to be and um i am fortunate that i have an amazing editor she is brutal you know i've mm -hmm. even maybe referred to her as evil sometimes but <laughs> she, she is so good and she's so good at like talking to me about what she's doing so it isn't just a you know the the metaphorical red pen of death, like just cutting mm -hmm. everything out and saying, do better. It's a, this is why I made this decision. This is why I think, you know, you might want to look at this passage again. Um, and so after I lick my wounds, after right. getting her feedback, you know, I do feel like she has made me a better writer with each bat, each round we do. <laughs> so I go and get punched in the face and then I learn how to bob and weave a little bit better. Um, so with the first book, it was there. She was really in depth with me, and then the second book, you know, I, I got a little cocky. I was like, I got this, I got this. It's all more janks, yep. It happens. Oh man, and did I feel it? And it was like when when her initial response came back, it was like, oh, yep, felt that one right in the guts. Yep, exactly. Yep. Um, so I I was cautiously optimistic with book three, and shockingly, she came back with like she, I think she cut like maybe a five, 600 words. I'm like, who are you? And what do you do, do with my editor? And <laughs> she's like, no, I want you to add more. I'm like, huh? <laughs> it's like, okay. All right. Um, so it, that was very confidence inspiring. And I, I hope I didn't just jinx myself because she has book four now. <laughs> I don't know. She, well, you know like, there's like little vibes, like she's feeling a tremor in the forest right now. She's like, oh, right. somebody's <laughs> feeling really feeling cocky. All right. <laughs> see what happens when I get my manuscript back. <laughs> right. It, it, exactly right. It, it, it's amazing too, especially because you write a series character. Um, did you envision what the character arc and the storyline arc was going to be from the beginning or has that evolved as you've moved through your uh, three books now? It's a little bit of both. So I, I think I actually hampered myself by planning to write a series. Um, mm -hmm because the way I structured my stories and the way I ended things when I was going through the editing process made things more complicated for me because they would ask they would say well why don't you want to do this I'm like well I'm going to do it in the next book right and then trying to find that balance between making it a, a standalone story that was also part of a series which I mean we've all had to experience now but right. that was a steep learning curve for me and it was because, you know, I thought, okay, I'm going to do this with book one, this with book two, this with book three. And I, I had kind of a broad scheme 
of mm -hmm. where I wanted to go with each story, what I wanted to see or do. But then once I started writing, the characters keep surprising me. And I, I love that. And I want to keep that. So anytime a character starts going in a direction that I did not anticipate, right, I've stopped fighting it. And that's right. made things easier for me. Like when I first started writing, I, I fought it. Like, no, this is the direction I want to go. And it, things just weren't working. And I couldn't figure out why. Mm -hmm. That's why. It was like, you kind of kick yourself and, okay, let the story happen. Let the characters be the characters. And so where overall things kind of went the direction I thought it would, there's so much that happened that I never anticipated. Right. And I had so much fun with that I just ran with it. And Exactly. And yeah, well, that's uh, when it becomes fun for us too. You know, they, not, we don't always have everything planned out in our heads. We have an idea of where it's going, but then you have to let the characters evolve as they will, don't you? Yeah, yeah, and it, it's it's sometimes it's counterintuitive, especially when you just start out. You know, I was never one of those people. I didn't take like a whole bunch of writing classes in school. I didn't right. do like character theory or anything like that. I didn't get really in depth with it. So for me. My writing was always, you know, professional. What was I doing at work? Or if I was taking classes at the time, what did my professor expect me to write? Mm -hmm. So doing something that was purely creative and something that was entirely generated by me, I, I think I just used all the habits I had from doing stuff at work or for a project. And right. it doesn't work. <laughs> so. Right. It doesn't work quite like that. I mean, I no. would imagine your military experience did give you the discipline you needed to know that there's a mission, there's a way to accomplish accomplish it, and this is how I'm going to do it. But it by no means is a, a bank shot that you're just going to do it and you're going to do it well, is it? No, it's not. So I I was fortunate in that give me that that's I'm just going to call it stubborn, like flat out stubbornness to to do what needed to be done or to, you know, get past my ego, get past, you know, the little hits to my pride and oh, yeah. figure it out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it's like, you know, you, you get punched in the teeth enough. Eventually you, you, you get used to it and you're like, yeah, I got this. I, I've been punched in the face before I can do it. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that did help me. And, it, you know, being active duty still, when I wrote the first book, you know, mm -hmm. at, I could easily say, hey, this is just supposed to be fun. This is supposed to be a learning experience. This is supposed to be a hobby. This is something I enjoy. Right. And so it made it a little bit easier not to make it life or death and like, you know, I got to pay a mortgage or anything like that. And 100% have so much respect for any author who does it as a job. I was like, right. wow, <laughs> you're incredible. Um, cause you know, especially when you're querying, man, just that, that silence, that waiting is like, yes. how do people not go insane? A lot of them do. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. And, you know, and, hey, that can make an, that can make a next great story. <laughs> exactly right. But no, it is, it's definitely, that's what it is. And, and the silence and the void that you feel while you're waiting for feedback and you can't hurry it up, uh, because if you do and you catch the editor or the agent at a bad time, they'll just say, yeah, no, it's not for me and get it off the plate. But then if, you, if you're too passive, then you're forgotten. So it's an impossible balance to learn because it changes practically every day with the mood of whoever's in the selection process. You're absolutely right. And you know, sometimes I, I go back and I, I, I originally wanted to go traditional publishing. I really did. And you know, I went and I queried, got an agent. And, you know, he was going and he was 
doing the uh, the process for me to find an editor with one of the publishing houses. Mm-hmm. And it was it was taking a long time, you know, as it does, uh, unless you're somebody like Lee Child who gets it on the first try. But we're not right. all yeah. that cool and we all don't have Jack Reacher. Um, right. But for me, you know, life was going on and I went and, you know, I was still active duty. I was deploying. I was really busy. You know, I have kids. Um, right. So I kind of just let the process run without paying much attention to it. And then I was on deployment and noticed, well, nobody's carrying books anymore. Everybody's doing, you know, e-readers or, you know, yes. doing reading on their apps. I was like, well, why don't I just independently publish? I could go direct right now, be done with it, get my book out there. And mm-hmm. I'm a published author. Right. And, you know, 2020 hindsight, there's a lot of things I wish I would done differently, but that was my thought process. And right. That's what sent me down the indie publishing line. You know, I got back with my agent and said, hey, can we do this? Luckily, he has a, a company that he supports authors with. So we kind of partnered up. Okay. And, um, so you'll see Story Merchant Books on all of my books. And it, it, that's his, his little kind of small company that he uses to help authors has this wonderful a la carte, like, hey, you want help with your cover design? You want somebody to, to set up your interior? You know, you can do it however you want. And he has right. fantastic. Um, but it's still at the heart of it. It's indie. So it's a hybrid model. And then I have full control over everything. The decisions, right. like even if my editor and my agent say, hey, I hate this, I could go and say, well, this is mine. Right. Um, but luckily I have a team I trust. So we usually come up with this wonderful collaborative end product right Um, but the downside of that is it's all on me so all the marketing all the publicity all the you know like getting the books out there that's 100 percent on me and for somebody who spent 21 years in the intelligence community that's really hard (laughs) i can imagine i can imagine yeah because you're not necessarily used to being in front of the house you're used to being in the back of the house and you're familiar, you're comfortable with the process, but the act of selling, which is pretty much what it is, is a lot different for somebody with your background. Well, it's like it, I'm really good with selling things. I am not good at having my face and name attached to it, if that makes sense. It makes sense, yeah, because when yeah. You, you actually are doing it for yourself, it's a little bit different, mm-hmm. yeah. And that's why I think I like I like the, the author world is because just because somebody's seen your name on like a page or on the cover of a book, they don't mm-hmm. necessarily equate that with you as the individual. So, you know, I, I did take, you know, I write a, as a Emma Dare. My name is Ama, which ironically, my initials and first name are the same. There but you go. There's like, most people don't know that and they don't know what I look like. So, you know, right. they could have read my book and I could walk right by them and ha- they'd have no clue who I am. And I love that amenity. Right. At the same time, that's a killer when it comes to promotions and like social media and being where people want to know the author. And so finding that equilibrium between the two is, mm-hmm. has been extremely challenging for me. And it, I, it's probably going to be challenging for a long time, but it's I, old habits die hard. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. And especially when you made a career out of it. And, uh, you know, you're, you're used to uh, approaching the whole world in a, in a particular light. It's yep. difficult to make that transition. I'm always fascinated. I know you wrote when you were on um, active duty. What was it that made you want to try to be a thriller writer 
as opposed to maybe um, someone who wrote nonfiction or Ooh. someone who wrote uh, something once they retired about what they had done. What was it about being a fiction writer and a novelist that, that appealed to you? I have always gravitated towards fiction. You know, I don't get me wrong. I, I love reading and there's so much value in all books, regardless of genre. Mm -hmm. But for me, um, fiction was an escape and it always has been. And I fell in love with thrillers at a young age. I, I mean, I was reading R.L. Stein when I was a kid, you know, through okay. you know, Fear Street. And I just got a copy of Fear Street while I was at Thriller Fest to give to my daughter because it had been out of print for so long. I was like, I got to do this. There you go. Terrified. But I'll deal with the <laughs> nightmares later. But, you know, she'll, she'll, think, she'll thank me eventually. Um, but that kind of grew, you know, I started reading like Dean Koontz and then I picked up James Patterson and, you know, it just it, like my reading of thrillers evolved with my age. And so that mm -hmm. was always kind of part of my life. And truth be told, you know, it's kind of my thing. If I, if I watch a movie, I'm going to watch an action flick. I'm going to watch right. a spy movie. I'm going to watch somebody get blown up and, you know, give us a cheesy one-liner. That's my go-to. Right. And I love it. So if I was going to, you know, lose myself in a story, why not lose myself in a story that I would want to read or I would want to watch? So That's perfect. Yeah. Because you want to write the story that you would want to read. Yep. And I, I chose a female protagonist. Obviously I'm a woman, but mm -hmm. I also have a daughter and growing up, there weren't a lot of female protagonists in the action thriller world. And so right. usually it's the, you know, the, the female lead is, you know, a supporting element. You know, you have mm -hmm. some one-offs, but they tend to be superheroes. Right. So having something else out there that, you know, my daughter can't read my stuff now, but eventually I would, I would like her to look at it and be like, yes, I have a yep. female action star. And, um, it, it, it makes me feel good that there's that possibility because, you know, mm -hmm. when I was, when I was her age, I wanted to be James Bond or Indiana Jones. Still do. Right. right. But again, there was no girl equivalent. So. <laughs> right. I mean, the closest you got was the Bond girls, and that wasn't anything to aspire to. No. I, I it's just know. not realistic. When you start getting into like Michelle Yao and Halle Berry, I was like, I'm okay with this, but you, you still had that Bond girl thing. You know, right from from way before, like I'm talking like the Roger Moore days and the oh, yeah. uh, double o and the um, Sean Connery days. Uh, they, you know, they didn't not they had women there who were practically window dressing, and yeah, they did some cool stuff, but not in the uh, the vein that you're writing now, the kind of character that you've created. Yep, you know, all the way from you know, honey walking out of the water in that bikini and Doctor No. <laughs> I mean, it's just. Yeah. I'm not saying it wasn't great, but you know, I. I I want my daughter to be the one who's punching somebody in the face and not the one who's being rescued. And exactly right. Exactly so. right. And I'm glad to see the thrillers are starting to go in that direction. They have for quite some time. And I'm glad to see that that is happening. Um, and, and your book is no exception. Um, and your, your whole series is, is, is to be commended for that. Um, when you write these series and when you write a particular novel, do you start off with um an outline and do you stick to that outline or do you are you like me where you just sit down and you let the story kind of evolve with all I am, of its pitfalls and whatnot i'm more of a pantser but i do have like left and right lateral limits like i mm -hmm. generally have it usually starts with a scene i have a scene that just keeps playing over my head and i can't get rid of it 
Right. And it evolves from there. So I, I kind of go with a feel, a tone, and you know, a general schema maneuver, if that's how that's probably the easiest way to explain it. But then that's what happens. I'll sit down and I'll start typing. And I don't know if it's just because, you know, I have too much caffeine coursing through my body or, you know, maybe a little <laughs> bit of a sugar high, but then I start like, just like, oh, this is so cool. And I start running down one rabbit hole or another. And eventually I find a story starting to like play out in front of my eyes. And I get mm -hmm. so wrapped up in that story that even if it goes against what I initially intended, I just go with it. And right. Yeah. And I know there's so many, I'm so envious of anybody who can like, here's my outline, you know, here's my plot cards, you know, like, like putting all these things together in this master, like puzzle piece. Yeah. You know, it's amazing. I kind of like flying by the seat of my pants. <laughs> well, it, yeah. And you know what? You're right. I'm the same way. And, but there, there's something to be said for um, whatever process works for somebody works for them. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, but uh, you're probably familiar with the term from your, your background, your career, analysis paralysis. And I find that when I try to do that, me, it, it, I get too wrapped up in the, in in the minutia and yeah. I don't get, and then it's, oh, well, this font doesn't match that. And there is a formatting, right? And I spent a lot of time in government where people used to literally fight over which guy, and it was usually a guy, got which uh, bullet point. Was it an arrow? Was it a dot? Was it a circle? I mean, Jesus, I, it was just ridiculous. So I tried to, like you, I tried to steer away from that stuff. I used to have to teach that man. So I get it. It was like, it was literally <laughs> like, look, point, turn, talk. You know, this is how you brief. And like, uh, this is the color blue you use. This is the color yellow you use. You know, like it, it, there were so many details uh, that are like, why Why are we even talking about this? It was like, it, right. We're wasting so much time, but people get so distracted by that stuff. It, you you got to go to the lowest common denominator. So you take yeah. away all the distractions. So that way people actually listen to you. But no, I completely understand. <laughs> and I was just in, in state government and transportation and economic development stuff. Your stuff was a completely, your stuff was the important stuff. So it was, uh, I could imagine that you, uh, you you dealt with that a lot in uh, in your life. So it's it's, it's easy to uh, it's nice now when you don't have to worry about that kind of stuff oh. you you said earlier that you're um that you're a big movie fan and i was wondering did you have someone or an actress or a character in mind when you were writing your protagonist uh yeah I, actually i did so alicia vikander kind of popped into my head throughout while i was writing it and a little bit of angelina jolie in mr mm -hmm. mrs smith time frame right um, but it, I think, I think I'd probably watched Tomb Raider, the, like the newest Tomb Raider, not too long ago. And right. her in that role, I was like, that is so cool. I, I, I loved it. Um, yeah. So that kind of, that kind of kept popping in my head. And when I did the graphic novel, my graphic artist asked me that question. And that's what I told him. I was like, Tomb Raider, Alicia Vikander and Angelina Jolie, Mr. And Mrs. Smith. Somewhere merged. Mm-hmm. That makes uh, sense. It, it did. And, you know, truth be told, I you know her second in command makes like no sense because he's supposed to be an Italian character in my book. But the rock kept pop popping in my head. And so okay. uh, like a lot of the things I would write or mannerisms, I would see the rock doing it in my head. Right. So, yeah, right. It, it, I think we just we just can't help it. 
Hey, no, you can't, you especially to. in today's day and age. Yeah, no, you have to have some kind of an inspiration for it. And these days, the common one is someone from the movies. So uh, in Hemingway's well, time, it was probably somebody you saw in a bar. But our days, it's uh, it's movies and TV. That's true. But I, I like to say I'm a nerd who is fluent in multiple dialects of nerddom. So I, it's just kind of they all fuse together for me. Yeah, they do. And, and uh, they create quite uh, a, a good story. Uh, you said that you've just gotten your uh, latest book to the editor. Do you have a title yet? Do you know of a, do you have a time frame as to when it's going to be released? So the title is A New Game, and I, I definitely go a different direction with this one, and I had a lot of fun with it. So without giving away any spoilers, I, I instead of having a story that's told from my protagonist's point of view, I have... Mm -hmm two protagonists. So I have, I alternate chapters between two different viewpoints. And it was fun jumping heads. And it was really fun kind of piecing this one together. Mm -hmm. And it, unfortunately, I can't tell you when it's going to come out because I am beholden to the DOD still to right. have it screened. And while I completely understand like where Brad Taylor and everybody's coming from that if you're not writing military information, you don't necessarily fall under certain NDAs. Right. But I signed a lot of things that were significantly more restrictive. Yeah. And so I prefer to err on the side of caution and just go ahead and let the Pentagon look at my stuff. You know, yes. I, I'm confident I know how to write for release, but I would rather have them give me the check no matter how long it takes then have to worry about them coming after me on the back end right yeah we don't want anybody with windbreakers walking through your backyard on a sunday afternoon and, that can uh, be a little problematic that tends to ruin a weekend doesn't it yeah yeah i mean especially <laughs> if you didn't have enough on the barbecue you're like sorry guys it's like I'd offer you a beer, but we didn't know you were coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, and we never do when they do show up, do we? Yeah. Uh, but that's part of their charm. Yeah. Um, I was wondering, what's the best way people can continue to follow your career as it continues to skyrocket on social media, your website, places like that? Yeah, uh, I am on social media. Like, uh, you know, we talked about it before we started recording, you know, as much as social media is hard for me as being career intelligence professional, used right, to yeah. not being out there, um, I do have it. So, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, probably the easiest way for anybody to find me is on my website. So it's just amadare.com. All my social media is linked. I try to keep uh, updates on big news things. And I have links to all the books and I'm mm -hmm. going to keep that going. And I also link podcasts and interviews. So it kind of becomes sure. a one-stop shop. Social media, I tend to have, I try to have a little bit more fun with, like uh, I posted a picture of me with a red macaw and landed on my head when we went <laughs> to a petting zoo. And it was like that, it, it was just a fun moment. Uh, it was also, right. I was wearing Jack Carr's hat at the time. So I was like, well, this is awesome. I guess yeah, he's, a, he's a fan. Yeah, he's um, a fan, he has good taste. Yeah, so I, that's probably the best way to do it. Fantastic. Well, I know that uh, my audience really enjoyed our conversation today. They learned, they, I'm sure they enjoyed learning a lot more about you. And I think you probably picked up a couple of new readers along the way. I appreciate it. I enjoyed this. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> oh, of course. Thank you for taking the time to be here. And once again, everybody, this has been yet another edition of Spies, Lives, and Private Eyes right here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time, everybody. Take care.
You have been listening to Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes with host Terrence McCauley on Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network.